Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Since Magic's inception, a player's power has always derived from one place. The most precious of resources that fuels all spellcraft, the land. But as the game evolves, the lands have followed suit, and these days there's nothing basic about building a mana base. Utility lands, MDFCs, channel lands, and more, the options can feel nearly endless, even overwhelming. But choose wisely because, while your lands can be the foundation upon which you build your victory, a weak mana base will inevitably lead to the crumbling of your empire. Today, we go beyond the mountains and plains of old, charting a course through the part of your deck that too often gets overlooked. The way may be perilous, but have no fear. This is the ultimate guide to lands. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. How's it, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lequai. And I'm Jordan Pridgen. I'm one of the writers here at the Command Zone. Jordan, an avid commander player, filling in for Jimmy today. And we're talking about something... It's like 30 to 40% of your deck, right? And definitely like under-talked about. <laughs> I would say like 90 to 95% of our episodes are not about what is 30 to 40% of your deck. It seems like we should definitely spend more time on it. Yep. Um, so we're going to do this episode, which is the ultimate guide to lands. Uh and then we'll probably go back to just talking about the other cards in our deck after this episode. Yeah, sure. But then this will be here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For everyone out there. I mean, there's so many questions when you're building your land base that, you know, it, it, it really is a lot to cover. How many lands should you put into your deck to begin with? What colors should they be? How many tap lands can you afford to run? How many utility lands or colorless lands? Which ones? What about the lands that are sometimes spells like MDFCs, channels? so many more of those recently, too. Like every set comes out and there's more. So it's a big question. Yep. So we're going to cover all that stuff but first we got to talk about our sponsors channelfireball.com slash command that's the place you want to go if you want to order all these cool lands for your decks they have a brand new marketplace it's a ton of vendors they're all licensed uh businesses lgs's vying for your business streets of new capenna is oh. right around the corner man and, and like the triomes and stuff they spoiled for that i mean i'm gonna want a bunch of those yeah the triumphs we're gonna bring up a few times during this episode if you want the old ones or the streets of new capenna ones mm -hmm. then the channel fireball marketplace is the place to go to get all of your magic products singles anything at all you're a magic player you're gonna order magic cards anyway you may as well just use our affiliate link when you do it channelfireball.com slash command and you'll be simultaneously supporting the content that you enjoy uh and of course you can also input the code command at checkout in case you forget to use the affiliate link 
And then, of course, uh, since you have cards and, you know, you're going to want accessories for those cards, the place you are going to want to go for that is Ultra Pro. They have just the highest quality accessories. We use them for all of our stuff. And uh, they're going to be getting some, like, all, all the stuff with the sweet new Capenna art coming out. So, you know, you want to keep an eye out on that. You know, get some of their sweet boxes, play mats, sleeves, everything you want. Yeah, I really enjoyed the... They've come out with something recently, which is uh, uh, the Eclipse Dice. Oh, yeah. Which are these dice packs... And and they're just very clean dice, really good for playing on spell table, really good for uh, gameplay content because it's very easy to tell. I, I like fancy dice, but sometimes uh -huh. they can be a little busy and it can be like, is that a two or a three on that actually? Yeah, you want one you could just read immediately at the table. Yeah, so Ultra Pro really does make the best stuff uh, to protect your stuff and to adorn your battlefield. And then of course, the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. We've got a ton of stuff going on with our Patreon. In fact, we're probably gonna talk about it more at the end of this episode. But I just want to say that Game Night's auditions are happening right now. So if you've ever dreamed of getting knighted and being on the show with Jimmy and I, showing your commander skills, going for commander glory in front of millions, well, now's the chance. You can't audition to be on the show. There are some rules and requirements. There will be a link in the show notes that you'll need to follow to figure that out. One of the requirements is that you must be a patron of our uh, content in order to enter. But you can be a patron at any tier. So, right. yeah, that's exciting. I, I love the fan episodes every single year. So please audition for that. And another perk is that we shout out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to Greg, Greg Taylor. Taylor. Greg, you rock. Also because you have a very easy name to say. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when I saw Greg Taylor, I was like, yes, yes, I can do this one. Sometimes it's like, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> one thing I want to say real quick before we jump into the main topic is we have another episode of Command Zone Live coming out. If you missed the one we did uh, a couple weeks ago now when you're watching this, it was really fun. We had a lot of people in the chat, a lot of people like able to inter uh, interject I, while we were, you were there, right? I got to be in the chat. Yeah. So, I mean, I was sitting here in the offices while you guys were doing it, but it was still like fun being in the chat. Everyone's asking questions, throwing stuff around. Yeah, a lot of a lot of our team was in the chat and then the chat was able to, while we were discussing the main topic, you know, bring up good points that we could call out during the show and, and really interact with us in real time. So if you, uh, if that looked fun to you, because we did just uh, release the episode as a video on demand on our channel, if that looked fun to you and you want to, attend the next one. It's going to be on April 20th. And again, those links will be in the show notes for how you uh, attend and where you go so that you can watch it. Yeah, come join. It'll be a lot of fun. Okay. Main topic. Lands and EDH, the ultimate guide. I mean, lands are really probably the single most important part of making your deck run better and more efficiently. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. They're the key to making sure you can keep up in the game and cast your spells on time. But they also do a lot more than just provide mana. Balancing how many lands you need and in what colors and how many you can afford to play that only produce colorless versus wanting to have some lands that provide utility, but you don't want to slow yourself down with the tap lands. I mean, all this is just a lot to think about. Yeah, and, and it's, it's an important skill to understand because... I'd say if you like haven't mastered it, it trips you up a lot more than you kind of realize. And so improving can come a lot from just understanding how this mana base that your whole thing is built around, uh, just making it better, not in just like one deck, but all of them. Yeah, if you can sort of increase your skill or talent at crafting a, a mana base, it will make all of your decks better, not Absolutely. just the one deck better, right? This is something you can use for every deck you've currently got and every deck you build from here on out. Mm -hmm. So it's a really important skill. 
Um, the biggest question we get asked, Jordan, and, and people, you know, ask us this all the time, which is just how many lands should I run in my commander deck? Which is a deceptively difficult thing to answer sometimes. It's just like all questions you get asked. The real answer is it depends. Right. But we also on our show are always cognizant of giving actionable actual answers to people. So not just saying it depends, giving you yeah. some numbers and breaking down some numbers. So... This first question can kind of be broken down, and we did a bunch of math to kind of figure out what it was. But the first step um, that I went through when putting together this outline was just to look at the decks that Jimmy and I have been building for game nights and stuff recently. Yeah, because I don't think it's that useful to go back five years and look at decks because the format the game has evolved. Has changed. Yeah, it's changed a lot, and we've been talking about that a lot on the show. How more two minute rocks and it's sort of sped up a little bit and things like that. And in the last, you know, couple of years. When looking at the decks, and I didn't do like a straight data breakdown, but just kind of looking at it and getting a feel for it, Jimmy and my decks generally average between 33 and 37 lands. Yeah. In the old days, we used to say people should run 37 to 38 lands, and we've definitely come down a little bit from that in certain decks, and we're going to talk about the reasons why, but those numbers, 33 to 37, hold pretty true for all of our decks for the last couple of years. I know I used to run like 38, but I, I, I tend to run like 36 in my, but you know, it really depends on the deck. Yeah. So, but if in general you're asking like how many lands should I run in my deck, that's probably the range that you're in most of the time. Not that some decks aren't outside that, but those are the outliers, right? Yeah. Now, that's still a pretty big range. 33 Definitely. to 37. Like, that's a 20% difference or something, and, right? And that's a, that's a pretty big difference. 15% like, difference, sorry. Yeah. 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 So, think about it this way. And we did a breakdown. Yeah. We, we, we've run some math on this. Uh, that's kind of fun. So, so you, yeah. If you have 37 lands in your deck, what is the percentage chance... That in your opening hand, you'll have three to four lands. Right, which is kind of the ideal. Generally, you keep a hand that has three to four. If it's two, if it's more or less, you're going to mulligan it. Yeah, you don't want one or two lands generally, and you don't want six or seven lands. Or f And five is like on the edge, but I think in general, five lands, two spells, you don't want to keep that hand. So we did some calculations, and in your seven land hand, the chance of getting three to four is uh, in a 37 land deck is 45.89% of getting a good hand. So that's three to four lands. Yeah, now we must say there's a couple caveats. We're assuming that you only have one commander, no partners. So there's 99 cards in your deck, no companions yep. either. 46%, um, let's say, chance of your opening hands getting three to four lands. Exactly. Not two, not five. That's below 50%. Yeah. Not... Not as high as I would think, honestly. No. And uh, this is also, as we said, it's counting out when you get like five lands and right. you could still keep the hand maybe. So there's some decisions you're going to have to make on your own. But if we take into account mulligans, which right. you, know, you get one free mulligan in commander, then you actually have a 70.72% chance of getting two to three lands. So that's that's pretty good. Yeah, three to four lands. Yeah. Of, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You have a 70 uh, you have basically a 71% chance of getting three to four lands, like right in the sweet spot there. Yeah, so with the mulligan, assuming, you know, the one mulligan, you have the one chance you could get the three to four lands in that first hand, and then because you kind of get a second shot at it, that averages out to a 71% chance of, yeah. of, of a good starting hand, which we're going to determine, or we're going to uh, categorize as getting three to four lands. To, to be entirely clear, it, once you've drawn your first hand and you're going to mulligan, your hand, your your chances have dropped significantly. Back to 46%, <laughs> right? Because if you shuffle all those cards back in, it's the same as if you're drawing your first hand. But because you get two chances overall, it sort of ups your overall chance. Now, 
that's three to four lands in your opening hand, but I'm also worried about continuing to hit my land drops, right? So you can start, you can have 20 lands in your deck, yeah. mulligan until you find a, a hand that has three in it, but then you're, you've only got 17 hand, uh, lands left in your deck, and so your chances to draw the fourth one before your fourth turn diminish. So my, my question is, with 37 lands in the deck, assuming, let's say, we start with three lands, it's hard to imagine people um, starting with a hand that doesn't have three lands. It, sometimes sure. two is fine, but you know, most of the time you want three, and you're going to mulligan until you get that. So imagine you're now, you've already done your mulligans, and you found that three land hand. What are my chances to hit my fourth and fifth land drop if I have 37 lands in my deck? So in order to hit that fourth and fifth land drop, you need to basically draw two lands in your first five draws of the game. Yep. And so we also threw that into a hypergeometric calculator and figured some stuff out. And with 37 lands, your chances are uh, 61.4%, basically, of getting two lands in the first five draws. So... so I mean, these are not not a hundred, right? Like, no. There's still a lot of chances to sort of stumble on mana, even when you have thirty seven lands. To me, calculating these numbers kind of made me go, "I should run more lands." Yeah, I might need to run <laughs> more lands. Well, the, the interesting thing: this was the high end of the range that Jimmy yeah. and I uh, had in our decks. If you go to the low end of the range, and obviously we're not going to do this for all of them, but if you say, "Okay, what about the the decks that have thirty three lands in them? What do those percentages look like?" And here's what it looks like: If you have thirty three lands in your deck, your chance of getting an opening hand with three to four lands is. 39%, 38.99%. So 39% chance. So you've dropped about 7%. Which is big. By by having you know, four less lands in your deck. And then with the mulligan, you're 63.78%. So about 64% to get three lands in your opening hand. And that means over a third of games, you're not going to manage that with your mulligan. Yeah, so... If you have 33 lands in your deck, one third of games, you're going to have a starting hand that has two lands in it, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe, I guess it could be uh, five, six, or seven, but sure. less likely. Okay, and then the same question, uh, assuming I do find that starting hand with mulligans that starts with three lands in it, what are my chances to hit my fourth and fifth land drop on time from that forward? Because remember, if you have three starting, la starting lands in your opening hand, you've only got 30 left in the deck now. Yeah. Rather than the 37 land, which if they start with three, has 34 left in the deck. So your chance to hit your fourth and fifth land drop on time with 33 lands in your deck is 52.81%. 53%. 53%. Yeah. Which feels a little low feels sometimes. Feels pretty low. But 33 lands, I think, is not unexpected that we would feel that way. No. And, and here's the other thing I kind of added on that I think is sort of important to think about. And we've been talking about how land base has been going down. And I think more and more often, two lands could be an acceptable starting hand. And if at 37, if two lands is an acceptable starting hand, let's say you have lots of two mana ramp or something like that, uh, the rate that you get a good hand with a mulligan actually uh, increases to 93.67%. So 37 lands makes it a pretty good, very good chance that you're going to start with at least two. Right. But so not necessarily three. If you've got all the signets and stuff and that's what you're like aiming for to ramp, you know, you could probably get two, but I know I, I don't tend to feel good about hands unless they have three. Well, because your chances to hit your third, fourth, and fifth land drop on time, if you only start with two, Stop. is much lower. Of course, there are factors that, when we'll talk about this later, that sort of help you if you have a lot of card draw, then you have a better chance to find those lands. Mm -hmm. um, but still, 
37 to 33, really that range. There's big differences between the two, as you can see. I wanted to talk really quickly before we go much deeper here about variants, because it's easy to play out a hand of a deck and like, oh, well, I got three lands in my first time and I had a, you know, 46% chance to do that. But it just feels like, oh, that worked out and therefore it's fine. Whereas variance is like, how you uh, evaluate that over the course of many, 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 many games, yep. which will tend towards the average. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so any one or two blips on the radar shouldn't really um, change your thinking on this so much as like the, the noticing like a pattern over time. Well, and people have kind of a fallacy that they tend to attribute things to chance more than they actually should. Right. So like if you've been having trouble, you should assume that you need to like fix the variance yourself. You need to change how you're doing it instead of just assuming that the deck always plays against you. Right. All right, so land count, factors to consider here, and this is how you sort of determine whether you're going to be closer to 33 or closer to 37. Uh, there's a bunch of things I would think about that would help me push me towards one or the other. Mm -hmm. So if I have a lot of low CMC ramp, you already alluded to this, two mana value or less... Um, I would say, and this isn't a rule, but this is kind of how I think about it. Sure. Because we've for years been espousing this uh, philosophy of you should have 10 ramp, 10 card draw, you know, blah, 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 blah. In right. our template, we kind of updated it recently and we were, were um, recommending more ramp than we used to. But I think 10 ramp doesn't change the amount of lands. I still want about 37 or so. Sure. But every piece of ramp I have that's, you know, low CMC past 10, I will probably think about cutting a land. So if I have 15 ramp spells, then I might go to 33, 34. Maybe it's not one for one. Maybe it's like every two ramp spells, I, t I take one uh, land out. And I won't generally go below 33, but uh, more ramp, and we tend to be playing more ramp, means I can afford to play a little bit less land. Because then you, you have that two mana ramp that you can play with the two lands you have, and, and it will make up for it at least a little bit. Give yeah. you a little more time to draw the next card that you, the next land that you need to hit the drop. Yeah, exactly. I, and, and, you know, decks are going to have 10 card draw like we have talked about, and so that's going to be a good chance to sort of find those extra lands and still hit my land drops on time. But I won't feel really far behind because I'm likely to have maybe hit a couple of ramp spells if I didn't hit enough land or things uh -huh. like that. Yeah. Um, Another thing I would think about is the number of colors in my deck. So generally, the more colors I have in my deck, the more lands I want in my deck. Yep. Because you just don't have as many opportunities. Let's say you're four color. I can't. I don't think I want to play a four color deck that has 33 lands in it. Well, because the fail case of not getting just the one land you need that like opens up blue for you or something, it's way higher. Yeah, and that could turn off like a significant portion of my deck. So I'm more likely to want to run more lands in decks that have more colors. Yeah. Whereas if I'm monocolored, 33 lands might feel a whole lot better because whatever, as long as I got some lands, sure, I can play my spells. But in a, a, a deck with a lot of colors, it's not just I need some lands, I need you know, the lands to be in the right colors as well. Yeah. So I would rather just have a few more of them to give myself a better chance of like, like you said, having blue in there or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, I also like to think about what my fixing colors are. And this is mostly in, uh, it, it, when you're thinking about green, because green is like the fixing color. Definitely the most common. So you might often 
or might maybe not often because green's so awesome it doesn't <laughs> tend to be in this position but you might have a deck that's three or four colors and green's one of those colors and green is not the dominant color in that deck maybe you've you know it's mostly blue and red and there's a little bit of green in there uh but green is providing your ramp and your fixing which means you generally want to have access to green early in the game and green can unlock those other two colors for you with your rampant growth and stuff so i might think that I want a little more green land uh -huh. in those decks, and maybe I can lower my l land count of the other two a little bit, because most of my ramp is green. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing that might make you sort of lower your land count is just having a lot of cheap card draw. Especially... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, because... These cantrips and stuff, especially the early ones, like they just let you look at more cards uh, early on. And so all the numbers we were talking about there, they get changed if instead of looking at, you know, five cards in the first five turn, you're looking at nine cards. Yeah, you have a much better chance of finding land in there. And if you would just imagine a deck and it has 33 lands in it. Mm-hmm. And there'll be 66 spells. And imagine every one of those spells is just a one blue draw card spell. Yeah. What's going to happen? You're going to play an island. You're going to cast that spell. You're going to draw a card. It's either an island or the card that draws you a card, right? Yep. And then every time it's an island, it's going to get stuck in your hand. And what you're going to end up with is just seven lands in your hand or six lands, depending on what turn you are or whatever. And so cantrips tend to glut lands into your hand because uh -huh. you can only cast those at a, or play those at a certain speed. And so they just there's a traffic jam of lands that kind of ends up in your hand. So if you have a lot of sort of cantrippy type spells, or maybe you've got like Thrill of Possibilities, Faithless Looting, that kind of stuff. And I think it's important to specify that it is kind of cheap card draw we're talking yeah. about here. Because you always want to have card draw, but cheap card draw is the stuff that you can really end up just flooded with lands if you have too many. So yeah, and of course you can't, like, if you missed your fourth land drop, mm -hmm. if you find it on turn six, it, yeah. you can't go back in time and play it on turn four. So you did cost yourself that. So you need to be finding the things in time. Yeah. And you, so, you're, you know, it's your fourth, fifth, and sixth land drops that are in danger when you keep a three land opening hand because you have to still find those. So, yeah, looting, uh, you know, smuggler's copter, I would count in the category of, like, I would want a lot of it. I don't think just having, like, one or two of these would change my land count. Sure. But if I look at my deck and it's just already wants to do that kind of thing, yeah. it's going to churn through a lot of my deck for whatever other strategy it's going for, mm -hmm. there's 20 to 25 cards that kind of do that, then I would be like, okay, this deck can afford to have fewer lands because I'm just going to look at more cards from my deck and the lands are naturally just going to end up getting stuck in my hand anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then... On the other end, because I think mostly what I, we just talked about is reasons to sort of cut lands from your deck. And, and this is like the exception. Right. <laughs> but there are some reasons to run more than 37 lands in your deck. And in general, that is when you are running a strategy that centers around lands. So a land synergies deck. Uh, and I have, I've had lands decks that have as high as 45 lands in them. Oh, yeah. But because, I mean, sometimes, like, if you are playing a landfall deck and you want to get that landfall every turn, and maybe even more if you have cards that let you do three or four land drops a turn, like, you never want to get into a situation where you don't have lands in your hand. So yeah, running you like... your Lotus Cobra and your tireless trackers to, like, continue to trigger. And if you, in normal decks, if you draw lands in spots where you want spells, they don't do anything. In your deck, you're like, I'm okay with that because it's going to cascade into other triggers that are going to, you know, make tokens or, you know... If you have a Lord Wingrace deck, you can immediately discard those lands and turn it into more card draw. So you never have two too much. Yeah, so in general, I think those decks like to lean into it, play a lot more lands, and just be like, I am never going to miss my land drop, because yeah. my lands kind of count as spells uh, because of my synergies, and therefore, that's going to be one of my advantages in this game. 
All right, I want to talk about two common mistakes that we see from players. And number one is too few lands. You rarely, rarely run into the player. In fact, off the top of my head, I cannot think of ever running into a player who's just naturally running too many lands. Well, it's because they're, they're not glamorous. Right. When you start out, lands don't seem fun. Right. <laughs> right. Like nobody, nobody really plays magic to be like, they're like, I want to cast a dragon and attack you with it. Nobody's like, I want to put a planes into play. <laughs> yeah, this mountain is going to take you down. <laughs> this, Yeah, you're like, I want to get this with this, and then they'll combo that way. Right. And the lands very rarely are sort of included in what's exciting about the game. So in general, as a player, especially if you're newer, you're almost always, if you're on one side of this, too few lands. You, you need more lands. I know, like, multiple times I've had a friend, like, get into Commander and they've showed me their deck and they're like, I, I don't know, it just hasn't been playing well. I'm like, you have 30 lands in this deck. Yeah, you need seven more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, common mistake number two is cutting lands sort of slowly over time. And we all do this. This, this is a really hard one not to fall into. This is insidious. Because new cards come out. Jessica's Will comes out. Delthy Voidwalker comes out. And you're like, that has to go in this deck. And then you lay your deck out. And you've got Jessica's Will off to the side. And you're looking at your deck. And you're like... And you like every card in your deck. Yeah, you like... it's in your deck. Yeah, and you've played this deck maybe a lot. And it's been tuned already. And you're looking at every single card. And you're just like... I like this, I like this. Every time I draw this, I'm happy. I like this. And you go through the whole deck and you're like, I can't figure anything out. And you it's, know what's a lot easier than picking a card to cut, killing one of your babies there? It's just getting rid of a land. Yeah, and a lot of times you're like, this deck runs smoothly. Mm -hmm. I've never had a problem with lands. So I can probably afford to just take this mountain out and put this Jessica's Will in and it'll be fine. And the funny thing is, because of variance, it often doesn't, one land more or less, it's hard to tell the difference. There's this thing in um, in video and film production that mm -hmm. I, you probably know, which is uh, if sound gets out of sync with video by one frame, it's not really possible to tell. Right. Um, the eye just can't figure that out. Now, two frames, you start to notice it. It's hard to tell if it's ahead or behind, but you just know that the sound's off. So you're really two frames away twice as far away as you were from when the first problem happened. And I think this is similar to like, you cut a land. Well, it's the sort of thing where like, if in this movie, uh, the sound is getting off by one frame every minute, there. like 20 minutes in, you notice it. It's gonna be like, yeah, it's gonna be like an old Kung Fu film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, so you want to mess with me, eh? <laughs> if you're if you're if you're just listening, that didn't make any sense, but it was loosely <laughs> referenced. Anyway, uh, yeah. So this is a thing that I think we have all been guilty of. It's putting in a new card, putting in a new card, putting in a new card. Over the course of a year or so, right. suddenly your thirty-seven lands are down to thirty-four, and that's the point. Like you're like, ah, it just feels a little clunky, or maybe you start to notice it, but your brain probably doesn't like ring the alarm, being like, yeah, you took out lands. It's like I don't know. Let me look at all the spells in the deck. Yeah, yeah. Be mindful. I, I would say try not to cut lands from your deck if it seems to are if if you're like thinking it always runs smoothly never had a problem with lands that's a sign that you should keep the same amount right. of lands in that deck <laughs> yeah you're not getting flooded you're not getting screwed no nope, well that's boy. what you want yeah let's not mess with that all right um we recommend and this is just sort of a general thing and in, again looking at jimmy and my decks from game nights over the last couple of years 50 total mana sources in your deck if you combine the lands and the ramp mm-hmm this is higher than it used to be. I think we used to want to be around 47 or so, and we've added two or three ramp spells yeah. to this equation. But if you have 20 ramp spells, and this is the way a lot of CDH decks kind of look, we'll have 30 lands, 20 ramp spells. 
because they have all that fast mana and they just want to mox it. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, even in casual, you want to be, maybe you're not running the moxes and the super fast mana, but in general, even if you've got some, you know, cultivates and Kodama's reaches and stuff, I think that would still, you know, maybe I've got 35 uh, lands and I've got 15 ramp spells. And I think that's still going to make sure that your deck sort of runs smoothly and feels good. Yeah. And I mean, again, this is like a bit of a guideline. I know I have decks that have like 37 lands and like 12 ramp spells, which is close, right? Like 49. You're right there. Yeah. And I think you could be a little above, a little below, but you want to be in that range. Mm -hmm. I don't think you want to combine those two things together and be like, I'm at 41. Yeah. Yeah. That's way off. Well, one thing here that's important is when we say lands, we aren't talking about lands that don't always make mana. I know Maze of Ith is like the one that I, for the longest time, I, I just almost forgot that it didn't make mana, and I'd put it in my deck, and I'd count it as one of my lands. You put it in the land pile when you're laying it all out, right? And then when you draw it at the beginning, you're like, this isn't a three-land hand. Yeah, this is a two-land Maze hand. of Ith in this. <laughs> yeah, that will cast anything. Yeah, Maze of Ith is a removal spell. It's interaction when mm-hmm. you're breaking down your deck. It is not a land because it does not tap for mana. So you can't count that in the land category of your deck. It's outside of that 50 number. Even like Cabal Coffers. Cabal Coffers is an interesting one. I would not count it as a land in my deck, but I would count it as a ramp spell in my deck. I sometimes am willing to count it as a land in mono black if I'm like so confident that I'm going to have all the swamps. But that being said, like I have a mono black deck and I've had a couple games where I've got two swamps, two black utility lands and my cabal coffers sitting there just being useless yeah because it won't create any mana you need at least three yeah. swamps before your your it counts as a land really right or you need an herborg out obviously so yeah i normally count it as a ramp spell so it yeah. is part of my mana package but it is not uh, a land in my deck so uh-huh. yeah um okay now that you kind of know what or sorry, now that you kind of know how many lands you might want in the deck, the next question is like, which lands do I want in my deck? So the first thing we're going to talk about here is how to determine your color spread. So the first step in figuring out, you know, which lands you want to run and how many, or it's also involved in how many, is, you know, what is the percentage of spells in each color in my deck? And in general, you want your lands to produce mana in similar percentages to the colors of spells in your deck. So this this is where you want to use like deck building websites like Moxfield, yeah. Tapped Out. I know on Tapped Out, like it just gives you a little pie chart. And on the inside or outside, I don't remember which is which, it'll tell you the percentage of colors in the deck. And then the other one will tell you the percentage of, man- of mana produced by your lands in the deck. Right. So you kind of can look easily at the deck and say like, okay, you know, in my deck, I've, it's, let's say it's red and green and... You know, if I take all the lands away, I just look at my spells. Yep. You know, 62% of my spells are green. 38% of my spells are red. This is a rare deck that has no colorless spells (laughs) in it. And you might be able to say, okay, well, if I'm going to have in this deck 36 lands, then I need 22 forests and 14 mountains. That's the same. 62% forests and 38% mountains. Right. And that, I think, you know, obviously a simplistic example but that's sort of the, the first step of figuring this out. That could be a really good place. Like, if you're building your mana base, just setting up those basic layouts can be a really good place to start. Right. But it's obviously not always as simple as that. So f- there's factors to consider when figuring out your color spread. Uh, and it's not always just straight up ab- about your spells. It's also about things like your mana curve and how your color spread is spread across your curve. So let's say in the same example, red and green deck... 
62% green, 38% red. But I look at my mana curve and I notice that half of my red spells are one, two, and three drops. Mm -hmm. That probably means that I want more red mana than I would otherwise want because I know I want that red mana earlier in the game rather than later. All my big stuff is green. Right. Yeah, so I want to make sure that early in the game I I draw red. So in that case, instead of 22 forests and 14 mountains, you know, maybe I'll just eyeball it and say like, oh, I want 16 mountains and 20 forests or 17 mountains and and 19 forests. So, something in that range because I know like a lot of my early plays are in red and I want to make sure I have red in my opening hand. And this kind of goes with what you were talking earlier about sometimes there's a little more green because your early ramp spells are green. Yeah, it's like very that. similar to that, right? Yeah. Just knowing where on your curve you're going to want to play this stuff. Um, you might take into consideration like activated abilities on your commander. Mm -hmm. So Chatterfang is one that want that's a green card but wants black mana to activate its abilities, and it's a an ability that you might want to activate a couple times in a turn. So I might have a little more black, even if black is only you know thirty percent of that deck. Yeah, just so that I know I can produce specifically black mana to activate a, that ability a few times. Kenrith is another really good example because yep. I mean he, he can use all five colors and has stuff, but if you're building him specifically like as a reanimator deck, mm. even if the black creatures do not make up a big part of your deck, you always want access to his black reanimator ability, so you're going to want to put a bit more in that. Yeah, because you might want to cast a black spell and uh, activate that ability or yep. activate that ability twice later in the game mm -hmm. and if your deck, you know, doesn't have a ton of black mana that it can create, then you might not be able to even sort of uh, activate your key core strategy that you're going for. Yeah. Uh, Kaikar is one I was thinking about, and this is in a different respect because for with Kaikar, you can sacrifice the spirits to create red mana. Sure. So I might skew my deck slightly with less red, more towards the other colors, or less you know, in concert with the percentage of my spells because I know I have this extra source of red mana if I need to. If I'm in an emergency, I can create red mana that way, whereas I can't create white or blue that way. Right. So that's something I would think about. And then another thing I would consider about the color spread is if you have any cards in your deck with, like, crazy mana demands. Yeah, like, four black or something, like Phyrexian Obliterator right. or something like that. Yeah, that's black, 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 right? Like, you cannot even run that in a five-color deck, probably. I mean, it's it's tough in a three-color deck. Yeah, because <laughs> just what turn are you going to be on before you have four black mana specifically? Two black and two colorless, sure, maybe. Yeah. But four black is just a lot. And so you're either in a mono-black deck, a two-color deck, and even in a two-color deck, you're starting to be like, well... Uh, maybe I play this on turn six. Sometimes I run really tough things in like my Zexara deck because Zexara makes two co uh, mana of any color. There so like go. that deals with it, but you need something to make it possible. Yep. Um, I w I've definitely cut cards in decks uh, many times just because they have difficult casting costs or like there's abilities for sure too. And there's like Chatterfang where like something has mm -hmm. fire breathing or something like that, which costs red mana to give it extra power. And you're just looking at it being like, if I'm a four or three color deck, what what am I going to have? Two, three red man on the table? Yeah. Just not worth it. Take that ability off the card. Is it still good? Probably not. Cut it. You know, so even like Bolus of Citadel, right? It's black, black, black. So that can be a tough, it's a very powerful card, but there are yeah. decks where I'm like, it's, it doesn't matter how powerful it is if I'm not likely to be able to cast it until like super late in the game. Yeah. A card you can't cast is not powerful at all. Uh, the next section is more colors equal more complicated. So as you add colors to your deck, the percentage color spread philosophy can sort of start to break down. Imagine that you have a four or five color deck. This happens all the time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's a five color deck. It's got all five colors. But you look at the color spread and you're like, I only have six white cards in the deck. Yeah. This is common because you've got Enlightened Tutor, 
idyllic tutor. You know, you have only the best white cards and there's only like five or six of them. Yeah. And that would mean that in my deck that has like 36, 37 lands, I'm only supposed to have like three or four planes or three or four lands that create white. Sure. So Especially ones that only create white. And those percentages might be uh, work in the same, six white cards, four lands that can make white. But then that's just a really high variance situation to be in. There's going to be a lot of games where I draw a white card and just don't have a white mana. Uh-huh. And so it's just dead in my hands. Uh, and maybe a lot of games where I have white mana but no white card to play, which is not as catastrophic because that white mana can still help me cast my other spells because it's presumably they have some colorless right. in, or generic in their cost. So in those situations, I would want to have more white than I need based on the percentages otherwise. Yeah. And that that leads to this thing, and, and we have this concept on the show called overlap, because it, you don't just look at your lands and say, I have 36 of them, and then, you know, 22 forests and, uh, what was it, four, 14 yeah. mountains is that the split. That potential layout is actually a really bad mana base, even if, like, it complete, exactly matches up with how you need to cast the spells. And that's because you have all lands that only tap for one color. But we have a lot of lands in Magic that tap for multiple colors. A lot of dual lands. Lots of lands that tap for two different colors. And then fewer, but still there are, they do exist, lands that tap for three colors. And then there are lands that tap for five colors. You can actually have a land that provides a source for multiple colors, which changes your percentage. Imagine that same deck. 62% green spells, 38% red spells. But my land base is 100% Red and green. That'd be amazing. Because and it's then poss- suddenly the costs don't matter as much anymore. Or the colors in the cost. Right. Every land in my deck taps for both red and green. Then all of a sudden every land in my deck is both colors. And then I'm just I just care about did I draw lands, not did I draw the right color lands. And there are so many dual lands and stuff that it's almost yeah. possible to do that for two color decks. Also not advantageous because we're going to talk about this later. Utility lands and things like that. And some lands have downsides. Like you're going to have to play guild gates and lifelands if you do that. But still... You can really mess with the percentages because your percentages of lands uh, will add up to more than 100%. And I would say, in general, I tend to build decks closer to being everyone will give you all the colors you need than otherwise. Like, yeah, and I think most people do because you you want to be able to cast your spells. Yeah. Like, And so it's more important, like, 30% of my deck is blue, 30 is green, 30 is red, but 50% of my mana base can produce blue, you know, 40% can produce red and 70% can, you know, produce whatever the third color green. Yeah. I forget what colors I said. It's, it's a much better situation than the 22 and 14 mountains. Yeah. So that's a really important, the overlapping of it is really important uh, to think about and a way to sort of make your deck hum more. So in that deck we talked about where it's five colors, but only six white cards, it, uh, it won't cost you that much to have, you know, 10 white sources among your lands uh-huh. if you build that right. Because it's five color. You might have some triumphs in there. You might have a tri-land in there. It will cost you. We'll talk about uh, lands that come to play tapped later and how that costs you. But there are ways to make it so that, hey, listen, if I draw that Enlightened Tutor, I'm good chance I have a white mana rather than the other way around with only yeah. four white sources. Okay. We are just at the tip of the iceberg here. We got a lot more about lands to talk about. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, 
Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we're back. This is the ultimate guide to lands in Commander. We talked about color spread. We talked about how many lands you should have overall on your deck. And now we're going to talk about colorless utility lands. Uh, Not all lands that are utility are colorless, but this is sort of a special category. So utility lands are are things that are lands that do something besides provide mana. Right. Um, Some examples of this, some really good ones are Kessig Wolf Run. That's a land that it taps for colorless mana. It also pumps a creature and gives it trample. Yeah. And in some decks that could be like really a win condition. It can be very powerful. There's stuff like Academy Ruins, which allows you to get artifacts out of your graveyard and put them back on your deck so you can draw them again. There's Arcane Lighthouse. It takes hexproof away from your opponent's stuff. This is all stuff that you're going to be tempted by, that you're going to want in your deck. When a lot of these feel like, well, I could use this in any deck. Yeah. And you think about the design philosophy of lands. It's like, okay, this land is providing 
you an ability that's closer to what a spell could do. Uh-huh. And the way they balance that is they have a downside. And the downside is that it does not create colored mana. So now you're in that deck that was red and green. And if you're not careful, you could have 10, 15 lands that only produce colorless. And now your percentages, again, can be out of whack because yeah. if you just have mountains and forests. You can be in a situation where like, yep, I drew four lands, but it was two green and two utility and I cannot use my red cards. And so you just have to be careful about things like that when building your decks. So again, more colors generally means you want fewer utility lands. If you have a five color deck, it's just hard for any of your lands that you play to not create color because you're so color intensive and all over the map with what yeah. your needs are. Just think about how you look at them in your opening hand. And if you like don't have any colors, but you have three lands, that's not a keepable hand. And I've definitely built decks where... I draw opening hands and very often it's three color, but I get like one color plus two utility lands that make me realize like, oh no, this is a problem. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, oh, I can only cast green spells, but I have, you know, three different colors in my opening hand. Yeah. Am I going to draw the other two colors so I can play the rest of my deck? Like it's pretty bad if I don't. Um, so I looked at the decks that Jimmy and I had built for game nights again, and I kind of categorized them by how many colors they were and could see an obvious indication that about how many about how many utility lands colorless utility lands we were willing to run in decks based on the amount of colors they were so if it was a monocolored one color deck we were often between between 10 and 12 utility lands yeah i mean you you have a lot of freedom in a monocolored deck because one you get to run mostly basics for your color stuff and you're going to get your colors because you have a lot of that one color in there so you can afford to put a lot of really cool monocolored i mean not monocolored utility lands that don't produce that color in your deck yeah it's one of the advantages i would say of a monocolored deck that that they have few but that's one of them if it was a two-color deck we were between seven and nine utility lands often uh three-color deck went way down five to eight uh and then five four and five color decks we were five or less utility lands a lot of five color decks had you know one utility land maybe two for me in like three plus decks like they really have to work with the strategy to justify it because you just start to feel it so quickly yeah you're just gonna only have a couple and they're just the best ones you know you're you're an artifact deck and yes academy ruins gets one of the spots but those spots are coveted because i need my lands to tap for mana because i need a lot of different colors so a common mistake number three is just too many utility lands. And you see this a lot from players, uh, especially newer deck builders, because it's often difficult to realize after the game that the reason you lost is because you had too many colorless lands. And this can be insidious too. I played in a lot of games where like, I do get all my colors, but I only have one of a color or two and a couple of utility lands out. And so I'm not able to really wield my cards in the way I want to. I can't maybe cast two blue spells in a turn. So I'm forced into play patterns that are maybe not ideal for the situation. And then later in the game, I lose the game or whatever. And it's hard to rewind and go back and really pinpoint that as the reason that you lost. Yeah. You know, because you were like cramped on colors a little bit. It's, It's not... People think that it's like, oh, I either have my color or I don't. And that's very easy to tell. Like, oh, I couldn't cast red spells all all game. Well, that's going to be noticeable and I'm going to fix that. It's not even like that all the time. Sometimes it's just like, well, I never got my second red. uh, And I can still play all my red spells, but I couldn't ever play two of them in the same turn. Yeah. Yeah, so or I couldn't hold up this thing. I couldn't play a red creature and I, and hold up my red removal spell. You have an ability that costs blue and two, and you'd love to be able to activate it three times, but you only have two blue. Yeah, so that can matter a lot. So pay attention to, to that. I think a lot of a lot of people are just running too many utility lands, and it's ultimately like it's cool if your lands can do stuff, but yeah, 
it's better if you could cast your spells. <laughs> well, I, I think Arcane Lighthouse is a great example of one that's like, oh, it feels like it could be great in anything because sometimes people have hexproof you want to get rid of. Right. But if you're not a deck that like needs to get rid of that hexproof, it's probably not worth the slot. Do you run it in your Tetsuro? I do run it in that deck. Because that deck's all about removal. But yeah. if my deck's all about not all about removal, maybe I don't want that. Another problem with utility lands is that they often enter the battlefield tapped. So I'm talking about car- cards like, and these are good cards. Hall of the Bandit Lord. Great card. Gives haste to something. It costs some life, but it comes in tapped. Mirror Pool. This is a crazy card, right? Can like fork and clone stuff. Oh, it's bonkers. Bonkers as far as if you just look at it in a vacuum of its power level. Yeah. Uh, Boseju, the original, who shelters all, which makes your uh, instances uncountable. Instance and sorceries uncountable. Mm-hmm. Uh, uncounterable. Sorry, uncountable. <laughs> you cannot count them. Yeah, maybe you won't <laughs> be able to count them, but that's on you. Um, but this is a huge downside. A land that, first of all, only creates colorless, and second of all, enters the battlefield tapped. These yeah. are double downside lands. And that's a pretty big deal. We're going to talk about just why tapped is such a downside here for a second. And you can kind of see the design philosophy between how they've sort of over time figured out like how to balance these lands. So consider the following. Guild Gates from Ravnica or Return to Ravnica or the third Return to Ravnica. How many, how many times have we returned to Ravnica now? It's been 15 like minutes. three sets and two returns. Too many. <laughs> so the Guild Gates, they're the worst tap lands that exist. Because in exchange for the downside of some of the land coming in tapped, you get access to it tapping for a second color. So it's like yeah. a Gruel Guildgate, and it'll tap for red and green, but it comes in tapped. You get basically nothing. Yeah. And I think we used to say this like four or five, five probably six years ago now, that Guildgates were okay to run a couple if you had to for a budget deck. Um, because there were just less dual lands. I, sure. I don't think they're okay anymore. Unless you're a gate theme. Yeah, if you have something that tutors up gates and does stuff because of gates, maybe. Sure. Yeah. But anymore, Knock yourself not out. good enough. Because there's been so many lands. So there's the snow duels that came out with Kaldheim. Do you remember these? Oh, yeah. So these are guild gates, but they're A, snow lands. Yep. So which, the snow sometimes matters. And the thing that's way bigger of a deal on them is they have types. So they have land types. They say forest or mountain or whatever on them. And again, you what is the downside of this land? It comes in tapped. Yeah. And they've found that being tapped is such a large downside. We can not only have two other upsides that guild gates don't have, and they're still not broken. In fact, right. I still rarely see these on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. But they are good fetch targets, which we'll talk about fetch lines later. But yeah. uh, look at the artifact dual lands from Modern Horizons 2. Stuff oh, like Dark Moss Bridge and Silver Bluff Bridge. So these are lands that, again, have two... They tap for two colors of mana, but they also are artifacts. So they and count towards artifacts. Aren't energy. they also indestructible? Yeah. So a even bigger, I would say, upside than... Um, well, it's debatable with the land types thing, but bigger than snow, probably. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't play land destruction, but like, if you do, or if something is just destroying all permanents or something like that, which, you know, that stuff is out there. And artifacts are often animated to sort of attack, uh, yeah. so the indestructible matters. Yeah, it can so, be a really big deal. So the, think of that. The downside is they come into play tapped. The upside is... Second color, they're artifacts, they're indestructible. <laughs> really good. Think how much better than a guild gate that is. Look at triumphs. Triumphs are insanely pushed when you think about it. Oh, I love the, triumphs. Yeah, the downside is they come into play tapped. The upside is you don't get just one extra color, you get two extra colors. They also have cycling. So, cycling is great. <laughs> so that if you know you ever have too many lands, you can cycle them away for something else. They also have land types. Three land types on them, in fact. So triumphs are just... 
you know, very, very much pushed. And then there are utility lands that are tapped lands. So Mosswarp Bridge is kind of like that, right? Yeah. Where hide all the hideaway stuff, I suppose. It comes in, it hi- it comes in tapped, hides away a card, but then you have some way to get access to that card, casting it for free. Yeah, almost for free. You got to pay a little bit, but like way less than you probably would be paying for the card otherwise. So that's kind of a big upside, but the downside is it comes into play tapped, right? Yep. Think of Bojuka Bog. It's going to get rid of somebody's graveyard. And the downside is it comes into play tapped. This is one of the most played lands in the entire format. because For that, good reason. Yeah, because that uh, ability is so powerful. Port of Carfell is one, I think, again, from Kaldheim, right? Uh-huh. Where um, it comes in tapped, but it has a reanimation spell on it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's straight up sack it, get a card, uh, creature card from your graveyard onto the battlefield. This is an insanely powerful ability to have a spell on a land like that. But... Coming into play tapped is so much of a downside that they can just put these on cards. And honestly, you don't see a lot of Porter Carfells played in Commander. Like I've seen it a few times. It is playable, but it's not like a powerhouse. It, a t- tap is a big cost. That it, that alone, I think, tells you how big of a downside something being tapped is. Um, Orn Reef, the Vastwoods, another one where you can tap it and add a counter to all the green creatures that entered the battlefield this turn, which seems insanely powerful. It can be huge. But you don't see a ton of Orn Reef, the Vastwoods get played. You do in plus one, plus one counter stacks. Yeah. Yeah. So why are tap lands so bad? Of course, they slow you down. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, and and they cost you mana if you think about it, right? Because you could have been playing an untapped land that turn, which gives you one more mana. And if that was one turn more, like, that all adds up over time. Yeah, so the land you played tapped cost you effectively a mana. Because yeah. it, it's the opportunity cost of not playing a land that could have come to play untapped. And then especially their bad early game. Right. Uh, because they screw up your sort of p- planned for play patterns. We talk all the time on the show lately about play patterns. You know, you want to play that mana rock on turn two. A tapped land, if you have two tap lands in your opening hands and only three lands total, well, you can pull it off. You can go tap land, then regular land, play your uh, mana rock. But then on the next turn, if you didn't draw an untapped land, yeah. you're instead of having four mana available, you're only going to have three. And if your commander's uh, four CMC, it's Orvar or something like that, and you want to get it out as fast as possible, that has set you back an entire turn from getting your commander onto the battlefield, which sets your entire strategy off and back an entire turn. So these tap lands can be very dangerous for just you know, smoothly playing the game. And, and and often you feel behind in games where it's weird, where you're like, I've just never kind of got going. Yeah. And tap lands can kind of cause that. Well, and, and they're much worse early game, but they're also sometimes pretty bad late game. I mean, how many times have you had a hand where you're like, okay, if I draw my sixth land, I'm going to do something explosive. This right, turn. or austere command will unlock and I can get back in this game. This by is going to be up. so great. And you draw it and it's a tapped land and you go... That's not what I wanted. Yeah. I mean, I did want to land. But <laughs> this is a bad genie wish. <laughs> now I have to wait till next turn, and one extra turn is a big deal. So they can kind of time walk you in that way. Yeah, absolutely. But I wouldn't say that tap lands are something you cannot run, because we just said that. Bojukabog is one of the most played lands in the format. Mm-hmm. So pe- a lot of people want to have zero tap lands in their deck, and you see this a lot in CDH, of course, um, and which I think is valid. But I do think it's probably correct for most decks to have at least a couple of lands that come to play tapped because they are so powerful. Yeah. Just it's, as long as they're the right ones. Yeah. I know, like, for me, they have to really forward my strategy in some way to be tapped lands. What about Bajukabog? Do you play it? Because it's usually a hate spell rather than a forwarding of uh, my strategy. Bajukabog, I'd say, is kind of the exception to that because there's just not enough graveyard hate that people just run in general. So having a piece that could stop a Marin deck from whatever right. it's doing, that's enough of a big deal. 
I think it's rare that there's a game where your spells sort of allow you to be 100% mana efficient. Sure. There's usually a turn somewhere around like, you know, four, five, six, uh-huh. where the way your spells line up, there's going to be a mana or two left over that you just can't yeah. use. And you could definitely get away with having that tapped land and then you get the bonuses from it. Yeah, because if you think about a guild gate, which is the worst of the tapped lands, it's not a good land and we're not saying you should play it, but even a guild gate... The turn after, when you untap with it, it just is a taiga. Well, it just is an underground sea, right? And it is the same powerful from that point forward as a dual land is because it just does the same things. It's just that initial downside. And if you are in a situation where like all you have is basics available to you or something, absolutely I would run a guild gate yeah. over just all basics. Like just to help my percentage out a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. It's still better because because again, the one guild gate won't hurt your deck. If you had 10, it might because you're going to draw so many of them that you're going to be behind all the time. But you can often find that spot to fit in a tap line. Like a lot of times it's just turn one. You yeah. don't have a one drop. You just play it. And now you untap with it, and you're the same as the player that played the Tygon turn one if they didn't mm -hmm. play one drop, right? Because you didn't have any way to spend that mana. So I, I would say that most decks probably are okay running one to four tap lands. Four is a little on the high side. It used to be a lot more. I used to say, oh, you could probably run like six or seven. But yeah. the, again, because games are just not going as many turns as they used to, if you're not getting into turn 14, you're ending on turn eight, nine, you just can't afford to stumble. And I mean, all these things are personal preference, but like if you have seven tap lands, you'll start to feel it in games. Okay, I'm going to cover this. I'm going to ask you a question because I looked through Jimmy and my decks and we, in general run between one to four tap lands in our decks. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the most common tap land that we played? Uh, well... I'll give you a hint. It's not Bajukabog. Uh, Evolving Wilds. No. That's a pretty good guess, though. I think that would assume that we played a lot of four and five color decks. Oh. Because I don't think that's probably good in, like, two and three color decks, right? Then probably, like, Myriad Landscape. Or something. Myriad Landscape was it. Because it's, it's basically a ramp spell. Yes. Myriad Landscape was the card. And it does have a double downside. It taps for colorless, and it comes into play taps. But because you can count it in the ramp category, yeah. and any decks without green kind of want to sneak lands into play, we still played it a decent amount. I don't I, know if that's I mean, correct or not. It just is what we did. I think it makes sense. All right, so let's uh, let's let's talk about some lands that it's unclear whether they're tap lands <laughs> or not. Like this is an interesting thing because not all lands are as clear as like it enters the battlefield tapped because there are a bunch that just have to do that, like guild gates. Yeah, but there are some where if you meet a requirement, then it will be untapped. So you kind of have to do some evaluation. So um, the first one is the have lands is what we call them from battle. Uh, sorry, from battle for Zendikar. Stuff like Cinderglade, Sunken Hollow, Smoldering Marsh. They say they enter the battlefield tapped unless you control at least two basic lands. Yeah. Do you I, consider those tap lands? I used to not consider those tap yeah. lands. I do consider those tap lands now. How many basics do you think you need to run in a deck before you would consider them untapped lands? <sighs> now, these have upside, too, because they do have land types and you can fetch for them. I think it like kind of depends on how many decks, but I don't know, like 8 to 10? Yeah, I think around I think around 8 to 10 basics. I do run these in like 3 color and below. I tend not to run them as much in 4, in four and 5, but because they're fetchable, they are a little bit better. In a 2 color deck... I I consider them basically untapped lands, but yeah. like three plus it, it starts to get iffy. I still run them sometimes exactly because they're yeah. uh, fetchable. But. It's mostly going to be in green decks because my green decks are going to ramp and growth and cultivate and yeah. get basics. So I'll know I have basics in play. All right. What about the show lands? This is stuff like port town and game trail. And when you play them, if you reveal a certain, you know, a planes from your hand, then it'll come into play untapped. 
What do you think about the show lands? Are those tapped or untapped lands? I consider them tapped lands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the same thing. I think I have to count how many basics I have in my deck. If mm-hmm. I have, you know, seven plus of it, then I would consider it untapped. I yeah. think there's a good chance I have one of those. Um, what about the slow lands? These are the lands that come into play uh, untapped if you already have at least two or more other lands or something like that. I actually consider those untapped lands. Yeah, that's interesting. Because, I mean, if you've got three in your hand, then you have at least two other lands going with it. So they and generally do the job. And like we said at the start, you generally are looking for that opening hand that has at least three lands in it. But mm-hmm. we sometimes have to keep those... You got to be careful. But I think the downside of I, I have a two-land hand and one of them is a slow land yeah. is not that high because then I'm in that situation I could be in with a guild gate, which is unless I have a one-drop, I can play it turn one. And the fact that it's tapped doesn't matter. You often see people just play Shocklands uh, uh, tapped on turn one. I don't want to lose two life if I don't have to. Yeah, why? you're not going to lose two life if you just don't have a spell to cast. All right, what about Mystic Sanctuary? Mystic Sanctuary, I consider a tap land. Because you need three islands. Three islands is a lot. Three islands (laughs) is a lot. Even in monocolor decks, I found it sometimes hard because you want to run Academy Ruins and a bunch of, you know, utility lands in those decks. Last deck I put it in was a two-color land, my my Zara Renegade Recruiter deck, and I was like, this will basically always come into play untapped. It basically never comes into play untapped. Yeah, it's it's, it's very hard. What about Castle Lockthwain? Castle Lockthwain. You just need a swamp. I consider it untapped. Right. Just, it's too good. And, and any deck that's going to have black is going to have at least, you know, 10 plus swamps probably. Maybe not in a five color deck. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't even play it in a five color deck, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Den of the Bugbear. I probably consider that a tapped land because I, I think it's funny because in 60 card formats, like cards called like fast lands that are like, this comes into play tap. If you have fewer than a certain number of lands, those come into play untapped a lot of the time. In Commander, it's sort of the other way around. Because you're going to have more turns after the second turn than you are, you know, or more games that have There's more turns after that. portion yeah. of the game where that's a tapped land. Now, I mean, if you really need its utility, I could see running that because it's not going to mess up your opening hand too badly. Yeah, that's true. And uh, the Bugbear has some combo potential. I'm not saying whether you run... Because I think all three of those cards see a lot of play. Oh, yeah. Mystic Sanctuary is insane. But it's it so is good. still, I think, a tap land under yeah. most circumstances. So the best lands are obviously the ones that always enter the battlefield untapped. Shock lands, mm-hmm. uh, pain lands. Yeah, I, I love the pain lands. The battle bond lands, which they are, uh, we learned they're reprinting and, in, in Commander Legends Baldur's Gate. And in Commander, if you're playing with more than one person... They're basically just untyped duels. Yeah, so Luxury Suite, Morph, Amazing. Pool. By the way, when those get reprinted in Commander Legends, Baldur's Gate, buy a bunch of them. They're yeah, going to go way down in price, but we know they're going to right back up. They and, were like, and they'll never be bad in your Ever, day. ever. They, they were like $25, $30 plus. Yeah. yeah and they're probably not going to reprint them again for a couple of years, so just get your hands on them. They should just reprint them into the ground, in my opinion, but yeah. They should just put them in all the commander decks. It's you listen great. out there, Wizards, put them in all the commander decks. Come on. Yeah. They're definitely going to do that now, but just because we said so. <laughs> <laughs> Pure That's how that works. <laughs> oh, well, speaking of awesome lands, let's go to the next category, which is a big one, and this is fetch lands. Fetch lands. So let's start with the Onslaught and Zendikar fetch lands, because when people say fetch lands, this is what they mean. And these are the fetch lands from Onslaught and Zendikar, the originals, right? Mm-hmm. They've been reprinted. Konzatar Kier had them. One of the master sets had them. They enter untapped. You sacrifice and pay one life. Yep. And then you can go find non-basic 
lands that have the certain land types on them. So polluted you can find delta, basics too. You can yeah, <laughs> you can find basics as well. So polluted delta can find a swamp, it can find an island, or it could find a sunken hollow, or it could find a underground scene, or it could find a tropical island, and that's kind of the big thing here. This is a big part of why having the types on the lands is such a big deal. And I, I know that like sometimes new players will like be like, oh, I, I don't understand why you got a blue with this thing that can only search for red. And it's like because of the types on it. Yeah, so you can, and, and it works so well, fetches and shocks, let's say. OG duels are their own thing. Mm -hmm. But this will work with triumphs and it'll work with like the snow lands from, yep. uh, from Kaldheim. Again, works with the Havland, Cinderglade and stuff like that. But it means in like a four or five or even three color deck, well, any color deck, but in decks with a lot of colors, if you find any of those fetch lands, they will go find any of the colors that you need mm -hmm. because they'll, they're will they looking for like uh, an island land, but any of the island lands that have paired with any of the other colors are searchable. So, oh, I need red. I've already got blue. Yeah. Well, my polluted delta will find a steam vents. And that will mean, boom, I have my red available to me. Yep. Uh, so this is just a very powerful combination. And it's really, I'd say, the reason that fetch lands are so expensive and so powerful and so so much of a thing that people want in their deck. And they can be a little controversial in like the community. A lot of people don't like them. But the, the truth of the matter is just that they are very, very efficient. I mean, I honestly would be fine if, the, especially the Onslaught and Zendikar fetch lands, somehow we could get in the time machine, go back, and they never existed. I think that would be totally fine because they create longer games. You got to search through your library, make decisions. You, there's a lot of points where you're just watching somebody fetch and they're like, what colors am I going to need? Like, I mean, I think that's a big part of why when they they started the new format Pioneer, they just were like, and the fetches are banned. Yeah, <laughs> just like, let's not mess with those. But the fact of the matter is uh, they are legal in the format. So, you know, we just can't deny how good they are. Yep. In recent years, they've created uh, a couple of sort of new fetch lands that are, I'd say are close to the Zendikar and Saltfench is not as good, but they can be included and fill a similar role. So Prismatic Vista yeah. and Fabled Passage, they both only uh, search for basics, but they can search for any basic. And they're still pretty good. Yeah. And often it's untapped. I think there's yeah. uh, on Fabled Passage, I think you have to have more than four lands or whatever. But Yeah, but still can, can really help you get there when you just need a color for like a pretty color intensive uh, commander. Now this is in opposition or, or you know, different than the tapped fetch lands. And this is where we start to get into the stuff that I think becomes harder to play or less playable. Yeah. So this means that either the fetch land itself enters tapped or the land it go gets, it go gets, it goes and gets, yeah. has to enter tapped. So evolving wild comes in untapped. You can sack it the turn that you play it, but the land that it finds, which has to be a basic comes in tapped. So that's effectively a tap land. Yeah, it's not, it's not terrible. It does help you like fix your colors, but it is a tap land. Yeah. And I would say that like, only playable if you're four plus colors. Yeah. Uh, because once you fetched for the land, and it again, it can only be a basic land, you're stuck on that color. So mm -hmm. it's just kind of worse than a tri land in a five color deck in a lot of spots because, you know, you can go get the green, but then if you, you know, find out in a second that you didn't also didn't have red or need or draw the red spell that you didn't have in your hand a second ago, that's it. You locked into the green. You can't yeah. like, go change your mind now. So that is a pretty big downside. Terramorphic Expanse is basically the same as Evolving Wilds. There are the Mirage Slow fetch lands. I, I tried playing those in a couple decks, like when I when I couldn't afford fetches or something yeah. for it. You really do feel how slow they are compared to regular fetches. Yeah, 
this is like Bad River, Rocky Tar Pit. Now, these are similar to the Onslaught and Zendikar Fetchlands in that they can go find non-basic lands with land types. So they can yeah. find your Shocklands, your Havelands, the Kaldheim, the Triomes, uh, the Kaldheim Snow Duels. But for instance, if, if you do find them, use them to find a Triome, suddenly they come into play tapped. You untap them. You tap them to go find that triome. That triome comes into play tapped. It's horrible. It's the worst. Yeah, and that's the thing about the Mirage slow fetches is they enter, they're fetch lines that enter the battlefield tapped. And then if you go find a tap land with them, it's just the worst thing that ever happened. Yeah, you want really want to get a shock or something. Yeah. Um, and then there's the panoramas, which are interesting because the difference between a panorama is that it can only fetch three different land types and it has to get basics. Right. So it, it's if it's Bant, it has to get an island, a plains, or uh, a forest because those are the colors of Bant. Um, and you have to pay one mana to sacrifice it to go find one of those lands and the land it just tapped. But... The panorama itself does tap for colorless mana. Yeah. Which, like, Evolving Wilds doesn't. Uh, Prismatic Vista doesn't. Like, these other fetch lands, they don't inherently tap for mana. They have to go, to go find uh, a land that does. I used to run panoramas pretty often. And I, I think if you're, like, really tight for cards or something, I think they can pretty much do the job fine. But just with all the options that are, have been printed these days, it's a little hard to justify them. I think it's one too many downside. If it, yeah. it, Because it costs the mana and mm -hmm. the basic... Well, it's three downsides. Cost mana to sack it. Can only find basics. Yeah. The land comes into play tapped. Yeah. If you eliminated maybe any one of those, yeah. then these would suddenly maybe become playable. Like, let's say that... It could find lands with any type. Still cost one. No, that would be huge. Still come into play tap, but could find your triome or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it tap for mana on its own. The tapping yeah. for mana on its own is pretty big because you it can actually... It makes a big difference, yeah. Yeah, the turn you played, if you want to make that austere command, probably that's going to solve your problem. Um, yeah, so interesting. I had a question too. Is Do you think there's design space for fetches that get non-basic land types, but that land they find must enter tapped? So they come yeah. in untapped. It's basically the reverse of the Mirage fetches. But they find the thing. I don't know. I I, I think, I mean, it would be significantly less powerful than the fetches. So. But with triomes and these kind of things running around, it might be fine. Because it's just yeah. like drawing. An, it's like another copy of your triome. And you're like, I'm, yeah. I'm not advocating more fetch lines because, again, they take a long time. But it does feel like if it brought the thing into play tapped, it would at least be a little more, like, balanced in some ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would say all the tap fetch lands, and I, let me know if you concur, Jordan, but G Jimmy and I in our decks, we tended to not run them, none of the Evolving Wilds, Terramorphic Expanse, unless we had a lot of colors. Um, yeah. Definitely didn't run any of the slow fetches or the panoramas, and the only time we might even think about them is sort of two scenarios. One is a lot of landfall. Right. Yeah, and then you just really want things to keep coming, and those do that. It makes another landfall trigger happen. Yeah, fetch lines are two landfall triggers, right? Perfect. Evolving Wilds comes in the battlefield. That's land entering. It fetch it, it. You sack it, go find a basic, comes in the battlefield. That's a land entering. So if you have a fellow at our retreat out, that's two plus one plus one counters mm -hmm. on your entire team or two two twos or whatever. But I mean, Myriad Landscape gets you more, so. Yeah, that's true. But it comes in <laughs> tap, so you can't learn. Yeah, you can't do it immediately. Um, and then I think another thing that people don't think about enough is if you have a lot of graveyard synergies in your deck that oh, care yeah. about, like, things in your graveyard. So... If you have a lot of delve, if you have a treasure cruise and a dig through time in your deck, eh, Prismatic Vista, Fable Passage, they, they look a lot better. And definitely yep. I would want all the Onslaught Zendikar fetches that I could afford to put in that deck. Um, Threshold's another one. I play a card called Cross and Restore quite a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, there's a three mana creature that taps to untap a land, but if you have at least seven cards in your graveyard, 
it untaps three lands. <laughs> and that's an insane rate, right? A, a thing that basically creates three mana and often more. We'll talk about this in a second. Sure. Or, or things like Deathrite Shaman. Yeah, right? That's a great example. I definitely want a lot of fetch lands in my deck to make sure Deathrite Shaman is a mana dork when I want it to be. Yep. Underworld Breach is another card that sees a lot of play. Mm -hmm. You want cards in your graveyard to to ditch for the escape cost on other cards. And so if I had an Underworld Breach in my deck, I might play a few more of these fetch lands, these ones that are sort of on the fence. I don't think I'm ever playing like the Mirage Slow Fetches. But Evolving Wilds, I could fit one. Prismatic Vista, Fable Passage. Again, these are not all cheap cards, but there are situations to play them where it's not about your um, color needs and things like that. Yeah, but... I've been burned too many times by those slow fetches. Yeah. Never again. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad. I always wanted them to be good. Right? All right. There is one more category of land that we're going to talk about here, and these are the spell lands. Recently, and it's pretty recently, yeah. we've gotten some lands that are just straight up are spells. I'm not talking about stuff like Port of Carfell, which has a spell no. type ability, but it's, it's on the... Like, you still play that land as a land. These are... Just spells. <laughs> you don't play... You, they never enter the battlefield. They're not going to trigger landfall when you use the spell part. These are MDF, MDFCs from uh, mm -hmm. Strixhaven and what? Uh, one of the... Zendikar uh, Rising? Zendikar. Well, Zendikar was just lands and lands on both sides. Sure. Uh, Strixhaven, I think, mostly sure had is the one. <laughs> anyway, so there are um, MDFCs that are literal instants or sorceries on one side. Creatures, too. Um, and then there are the new channel lands from Neon Dynasty that are functionally the same as instants, yeah. and sometimes better, often better. <laughs> and Zendikar did have have the, yeah, what am I talking about? Yeah, and then the ones with the, the like, Glasspool Mimic and yes, stuff yes, like yes. that. Right, right, right. So let's talk about MDFCs first, the modal dual face cards. Um, now, we're not talking about the ones that are lands on both sides, the pathways. Right. These are the ones, we're talking about the ones that are a land on one side and then a spell on the other. So Balaged Recovery. Green land on one side. That is, comes into play tapped. Yeah. But on the other side is a regrowth spell, right? It's a yeah. sorcery, two and a green. You get a card from your graveyard, put it Which into your hands. Is a big upside for that cost we were talking about earlier of coming into play tapped. I mean, it's insane. I run this in literally every green deck, right? It's so good. Yeah. Valakut Awakening. This is an insane card. It's the red version of Valakut Recovery, where on one side it's a red land, on the other side it's a wheel for yourself. It, it rules. It's so good. It's an instant, too. Like, yeah. It's insane. <laughs> Uh, Agadim's Awakening, I lost to this card very recently, which on one side is a land that, by the way, you can pay life so it comes in untapped. Yeah, so it doesn't even really have the tap downside. And then the other side is like, re is is uh, recur to the battlefield, you know, everything you've got in your graveyard that's different CMCs, basically. Insane. Yeah. Um, I, it takes mana, obviously. It's, it's expensive. An expel, it's really but, expensive, and that's kind of how a lot of these work. But, but it's a Rise of the Dark Realms on a land. I know that's a little bit hyperbolic, but still. And if it's sitting in your hand, you can't afford to cast it. Play it as a land. Play it as a land. <laughs> yeah, so my question is, do you count these as lands or spells in your deck? You know, it kind of depends on what role they're filling in things. I, I, I try to, I usually count them as lands, especially if it's something like Agadim's Awakening, mm -hmm. because it can be a land whenever I need it to be a land. The other ones, like if I'm running, like I run Kazul's Fury in one of my decks because I want to be able to steal people's stuff and fling them at people. Um, but I count that one more as like a half spell, half land, personally. I think one of the reasons Jimmy and I have gone low on lands in recent years uh, will be down to 33, which I think would have been unthinkable for us in 2015 or yeah. something, is because we're almost always running three to four, maybe even five MDFCs. And so we really do have 38 lands in the deck. Yeah. Because Balagate Recovery saves you in those moments where, you know, 
you draw a two land hand. Well, one of another card in the hand is Balagate Recovery. You're good. Yeah. Play that on turn one, hit your third land drops. It's, it's, you know, going to save you. And then in situations where it saves you again, in situations where you would have drawn five lands in your hand, but one of them is Balagate Recovery. And now that's a four land hand. And so both at the bottom and the top end of that spectrum, those cards fit either slot. Valcut Awakening is just so good because if you have too many lands in your hand, but if one of them is Valcut Awakening, sweet, I can get rid of these and I'll be fine. All my decks that don't have Valakut Awakening, I look at it and I go, I should really get a Valakut Awakening for And this. it's almost no cost, because you can cut a land for it if you have to. These yeah. are one of the ones where it's okay. You're putting in a slightly worse land, it does come into play tapped, but in general, that downside is not as big as the upside from having it be a spell sometimes. Because you're not going to play it as the land side every game, so it's not like that tapped downside is something that you, that a cost you have to pay all the time. In a lot of games, you cast it as a spell, which has no downside. I, I was looking at one of my decks the other day, and I was like, wait a minute, I only have 32 lands in this what am i doing and i look at oh i have five mdfcs so of course it's probably still feels good yeah all right let's talk about the channel lands which are the neon dynasty ones this is stuff like boseju uh who endures this is the new boseju yeah. that uh gets rid of an artifact enchantment um otowaru the soaring city is a bounce spell yeah that's the blue one right uh Takanume uh, Abandoned Mire, which is the um, get a creature or planeswalker back from your graveyard. Yeah. These are, and these lands enter untapped naturally, They're which seems like a mistake. Just like almost strict upgrades on basic lands. It's pretty crazy. Now, do you count these as spells or lands in your deck? I count these as lands because... They're, it's almost the reverse of the MDFC, right? Exactly. They're lands that for sure give me the spell I want. <laughs> and we should note that channeling is not casting a spell no so these are actually often most of the time better than a spell harder to counter a counter spell will not counter the channel ability on otovaru it you need like a, a disallow to get rid sure. of that, right the activation of an ability so that's pretty annoying um yeah these channel lands and these mdfcs i think have fundamentally changed the the way that you can build decks because you can have your spell count just be three, four, five higher than it used to be. And, and if you're not running these in your deck, you are almost definitely, like, I don't even need to really know what your strategy is. You're almost definitely losing some value. Yeah, you're leaving some amount of efficiency and value and power on the table. Yeah. And, you know, these are just the best ones. I even have decks that run like Malakir Rebirth or some of the other ones because the cost is so low. Now, obviously the Channel Lands, they're expensive cards now, uh -huh. but a lot of the MDFCs still aren't. And even if you don't have the Balaged Recovery of Valkut Awakening, there's probably some other ones because, like I said, we're running four to five in a lot of our decks, which means yep. we're not just running all the A-plus ones. We're running some of the B-plus ones, too, because, again, it's just a... Would I rather just have a mountain or a card that is a mountain, basically, but also sometimes does something else? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, if you have enough spells, like Saloon Divisions, which is a tap thing, just finds a spell for you. I put a lot of Saloon Divisions. Amazing. Of, yeah, <laughs> it's great. Um, okay. An interesting thing about these spell lands that I wanted to sort of put a pin in here or bring up is that... And I've always been a huge fan of Bounce Lands. Because they're pretty good. Um, but wow. <laughs> their stock is just rising and rising. These are probably the most underrated lands in Commander right now. And I think because of MDFCs and Channel Lands, Bounce Lands have just gotten way better in the last... What is this? Uh, I, I mean, I feel like... 12 months. ...started to get better when, like, Mystic Sanctuary yes. type stuff was being yes. printed. And then you're like, oh, it'd be kind of nice to be able to replay this. But now, 
I almost can't imagine a board state where I don't have one of these lands that I wouldn't mind having back in my hand as a spell. And also, if you don't have bounce signs in your deck, you're often in a situation where, like, man, Balagud Recovery is going to get me back, you know, my Wheel of Fortune, or it's going to yeah. get me back, like, something that I really is going to change the game for me. And I do not want to play it as a land. But if I have two bounce lands in my deck, I don't have to worry as much. I'll go, I'll play it, and with my card draw, I can even tutor for the bounce land if I have to. Yeah. Get the thing to, like, there's all kinds of stuff you can do. So bounce lands, being able to pick up your land, rebuy it, and then, boom, now I can play the MDFC side, or I can play, I can channel the channel side. And, you know, it just turns my bounce land sometimes into a removal spell that I just drew, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So... Also, people just don't understand bounce lands intrinsically. They're card advantage. Uh huh. So a bounce land. Imagine you start. Imagine you start. You mulligan and you have to go down to a six land hand. Yep. If you, you have, yeah. If you have a bounce land and a regular land, yep. you have three mana worth of land in your hand, but only two cards. So you basically are at seven cards still. Now it's going to be a little slow. Because you got to play your land, then the next turn play your bounce land, then the next turn play your land. But you'll have three mana on turn three with six cards. And they can be a little frustrating when you get the two land in your seven uh, card hand. Because then you're like, well, I'm, if I can't play anything off of this, I might have to discard something. Yeah, but so like, the, the play pattern with bounce lands is when you have seven in your hand and you have to play them turn two. Is let's say you have a, a mountain and a bounce land and seven cards. You draw your card for turn, you play your mountain. On your next turn, you draw your card for turn, you play your bounce land. Your mountain comes back to your hand and now you have eight cards in it and you have to discard. Thing is, discarding can often be great. Yeah, you're often like, oh, a dredge card. Oh, my anger. Oh, something I'm going to be able to get back later. You know, that's not even always a downside anymore. And that slight downside is made up for by the fact that, like, you're still at card parity because the bounce land, you know, gives you two mana. Um, it, there's a, you're vulnerable a little bit because if somebody wanted to sort of uh, destroy your land, strip mine it or whatever, that's going to hurt you more than it otherwise would. It's not like getting rid of one land. It's kind of like getting rid of two. Well, and people have a bit of a visceral reaction to having to discard cards. But, like, if you're discarding cards because you have eight cards in your hand... That's a good position to be in. Right. I mean, you have a lot of cards, so <laughs> yeah. you're okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I like bounce lines as well, because if you have anything that can untap a, a land, it becomes like Cross and Restore. All of a sudden, it becomes sure. you know, twice as good as it would be, because instead of untapping a, land, a basic land that taps for one. And yeah, it, it, suddenly you're getting twice as much, like a Cure Behemoth Beckoner. I, I run that in my like Zexara deck, because it you know can untap Zexara twice, but I also have the Bounce Lands, because it's just more ways to get more out of untapping. Also think of white in recent years. They The way they have given white ramp is count up how many lands your opponents has. If, they, if one uh -huh. of them has more than you, then you can get extra lands into play. This is a way to sort of have the same amount of mana available, but less lands on the table. There's just a lot of ancillary benefits to bounce lands, and that's why I wanted to give special consideration to them, giving them their own little segment of this ultimate guide to lands, because I just really think bounce lands are so well positioned right now that yeah. like... I, I want to run a couple of them in all of my decks. Because I almost have no decks that don't have Bojuka Bog, a Mystic Sanctuary. Uh, there's, like we said, four or five MDFCs in all my decks. I want one of these channel lands in every deck if I can. So there's usually like seven, eight, nine good targets for my bounce land. Yeah, I feel like they also include those in the pre-cons a lot a of lot. the time. They're very cheap. So they should be easy to get. Yep. Yeah. All right. So... Um, that was our little segment on bounce lands. We're almost done. We're almost wrapping up here. I wanted to s sort of button this with two things. The first one is common mistake number four. 
which is we talked about a whole bunch of cool lands. We talked about fetch lands and have lands and bounce lands and MDFCs and channels. And I don't want you to lose sight of this fact. The mistake is not enough basic lands Run basic. in your deck. Run more basics. Basics are f- better than most of the lands because they just do their thing and no downside. So the, all this tap land, all this, you know, all the shenanigans that you want to play is great, but you should probably be running more basics in your deck. It'll just make your deck be more smooth. All basics is a problem, but if you get to the point, which I will admit... Some of my decks are definitely at where you're just running no basics. It's going to come back to bite you. Yeah, in general, I think that's a situation that's probably not optimal. You want a few basics just to smooth it out. Make sure that you can find your spots where you're like, okay, I play the tap land right when I need to. But if I have too many of those, it doesn't Mm -hmm. work. I play my colorless land. It doesn't hurt me because the rest all create color. So you need a nice balance. And part of that balance is basics. So that is a thing I see a lot, which is, and I am guilty of it as well um this is probably the mistake of all the mistakes we've listed that i make the sure. most which is not having enough basics basics will make your deck run very smooth so yep. you probably want to play more of them okay before we go i thought it would be fun to go through some specific lands and sort of evaluate what we think about them uh, because there are a lot of corner cases it's magic mm-hmm. the first one is temple of the false god I was really down on this card for a long time, and I, I've, I've come around. And partially this is because you've made arguments in the office for it, and then I've kind of like thought about it and been like, yeah, okay. A lot of people hate this card. This is a land that taps for two colorless mana, but it does not work unless you have at least five lands total. When you can't play it in every deck. Yes. Like, you need to play it more like it's a spell. But when you do have decks that are, are going to be playing the Cultivates and, you know, the Rampant Gross and stuff just to have lots of lands, it's a bit like having a no downside ancient tomb sometimes i think also um this might people might be evaluating this as because a lot of people think it's just awful and never play it yeah and i think they've just hit too many situations where they have temple of the false god in their hand and it is their fourth land mm-hmm. and they don't have a fifth one and so it's like they only drew three lands that game yeah and i think there's a lot of problems going on with their deck building when they're in that situation one is um you know they, they may not have enough uh, lands in their deck. They might not have a, enough card draw in yep. their deck. They might have just kept a bad opening hand. Um, we d- went through the percentages earlier. I build all of my decks, and the m- most important thing when I'm goldfishing them, and am I hitting my land drops every turn? And if I'm not, I'm tuning the deck to the point where like it has cantrips, it has looting, it has some sort of mechanism to help me make sure I hit lands every turn, because I just think that's the most easy way to learn to lose a game. Yeah, it's just we play with a friend of ours, and he's a really good player, has very powerful cards. But I, I noticed that he often has just less lands on the table than everybody else, and I think that's a hole in his game. We we played a game recently, and he had like only two or three lands the whole time, and it, it was a hindrance. Yeah, and and just near the end of the game, it can often feel like oh, I have no chance in this game because everybody else is creating eight mana a turn, and I'm creating six. Yeah, and. That is the type of thing that you don't always identify as the reason that you're losing games. So yeah, Temple of the False God, ironically, I think is better in green decks now. Sure. Because Rampant Growth and Cultivates and things like that are going to guarantee that you get to those fifth lands a lot more than other decks. But even like white decks, you know, I'm often playing Crucible of Worlds with fetch lands and brought backs and Savine's Reclamations to get extra lands into play. And just like, hey, listen, if my deck's not getting to five lands like most games, then it's not Temple of the False God's fault. I think it's, I think it's really good in decks that 
that don't really have an upper end of how much they can use their mana. You know, ones that can really set up an engine, and if you get more, you know, if you have enough mana, can keep playing cards, can really use Temple of the False God, which is a lot of decks. Yeah, I think it's, I think it is, it's funny, because I think it was overrated early in the format, mm -hmm. and then now it's underrated, because people hate yeah. it so badly, <laughs> and it's actually, it's decent. I'm not saying it's amazing, but... Also in all the pre-cons, and probably a lot of people start their pre-con journey and play it and go, oh... This didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's stay move to the next one, which I, I know is near to dear your heart, which is Strip Mine slash Wasteland. I love Strip Mine and Wasteland. I would run one of each in every deck if I had the option. Most of the time, I just run Strip Land. Strip Mine. Strip Mine. Yeah, because they're not cheap cards. I think Tectonic Edge is kind of edging into a category where I might start to play it because yeah. I think similar to Bounce Lands, the way that lands are kind of progressing and, and lands are becoming more and more powerful recently. I want the ability to reach out and get rid of some problematic lands. If guys cradle, of course, I want to be able to get yeah. rid of it. If people are playing things like that, but 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 even just Boseju, Balaged Recovery, um, those are cards that, like I said, people are going to play and maybe hope to bounce later. And if you know, if you can destroy it before they get to bounce it or whatever, I've seen people get Mystic Sanctuary loop set up oh, so yeah. many times, and I'm like, man, I wish I had a strip mine out right yeah. now. Yeah, now they're hard to hold open. You want to tap them for mana and things like yeah. that, but they can definitely solve problems. And as lands get more powerful, strip mine gets more powerful, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and um, I, th I think it's it's fair to say. I know we've said this before. Some people get um, uh, kind of upset about land destruction, but you can run a strip mine very fairly in a deck, just as a way to slow down strategies that really like get out of the racetrack going really hard and there's nothing you can do about it because it's all land-based. Yeah, I don't think you should be in a situation where you just can't get rid of an opponent's lands. Now, destroying everybody's lands, I get, is, you know, frowned upon. That makes sense. Mm. But I think, like, you can't be, hey, listen, you have a guy's cradle or a cradle of it, Lamoc, or you sure. know, something else like that, and I'm just not allowed to ever touch it. That's not fair. Yeah, you, yeah exactly. I, I should have tools at my uh, disposal to get rid of that, and that, you know, people shouldn't get mad about that. Uh, what about Urza Saga? Amazing. Fantastic. Goes in every deck. Really good. Do you <laughs> count it as a land i do uh it but then sacrifices it itself <laughs> after a few turns i don't then know you, uh then you get a soul you get ring. a soul ring so it's fine and you're okay yeah it's true <laughs> and then it has all the advantages of like you don't have more lands than other people for the white stuff all i do count it as a land although i've thought about maybe counting it more like cabal coffers i'm not sure mm. on that one uh, what about but, field of the dead uh field of the dead i don't know i count that as a utility land like you need the right card right, right. for it but do you play it a lot Oh, yeah, all the time. So an interesting trick with Field of the Dead, if people don't know, is you should take half of your basics and make them snow lands. Oh. So if you've got... Then you just If you're red and green and you've got, you know, it, you have the normal mix of, mix of utility lands and dual lands, but you end up and you're like, okay, my basics, I've got, you know, seven forests and, and five uh, mountains. Then just turn three of the forests and two of the mountains into snow so, because those will count yeah. as at least half, you know. In a three-color deck, then all your basics can basically just do everything you need to turn on Field of the Dead. Yeah, or at least contribute so that, you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, what about Reliquary Tower? I play Reliquary Tower a lot less yeah. these days. I used to kind of always do it, but it's like what I said earlier. I think people have too much of a visceral reaction to discarding cards in their hand. I don't always want to have... Like, one, how often do you even end up discarding down to hand size? And two, it's not that terrible when you have to sometimes. Right, you, 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 caught, you kept your best seven. Yeah. Like, that's mostly fine. I know, people just don't want to have to do it. It feels bad to discard. But Reliquary Tower, I think there are just too many good options now. And like we said, you have a limited number of utility lands that tap for colorless that you can put in your deck. And I think most of the time, Reliquary, Reliquary Tower is not worth it. If it is not, you have to look at it like Gavany Township or Keswick Wolf Run yeah. or Academy Ruins. 
it, you were, you're not running Academy Ruins in decks that, unless there are specific artifacts you care about getting back. Don't run Rel- Reliquary Tower in decks unless having a lot of cards in your hand is specific to your strategy. Just, yeah. yeah. Like, if your plan in this deck is, like, pretty much all the time to leave all your mana open and then at the end cast an enormous pull from tomorrow and have 20 cards in hand to do some crazy turn with, sure, Reliquary Tower might be what you need to not have to discard all of that, but... It needs to have a place. Yeah, as a default, I wouldn't put it in. All right, this is interesting. The pathway lands. These are the lands that, like, Clearwater Pathway or Crag Crown Pathway, where they're an MDFC, but they're a monocolored land on each side that comes into play untapped. So you play it on the blue side, and it taps for blue the whole game, or you play it on the red side, and it taps for red the whole game. Obviously, you can bounce it and reset it, but most people don't do that. Do you play the pathway lands? I usually play one or two. Um... They often are what ends up kind of getting the cut once I've, like, acquired all the things I really want, especially for, like, three or more colored lands. Because then it really gets to the point where you're like, cool, I needed white this turn, I played as white, but then next turn you needed green. So it doesn't provide green for that sort of thing. I, I think I still generally play them most of the time. I don't play them at all. I don't think I have a pathway really? in a single one. I tried them out for a while. I think it's too easy to pick the wrong side, be mad about that. They don't, they aren't fetchable. Uh, you can't get them with rampant growths and things like that. So I don't almost always just rather have a basic land i think i'm pretty much always happy with them in two color decks at least because you know then often you just need to get that second color and you're online okay filter lands oh these lands these are interesting these are the lands like uh wooded bastion and twilight mire we used to see these a lot in the format and i see them less now these are lands that do not tap for mana on their own, but if you put one mana and tap them, they tap for any combination of uh, two colors. So you can get two red, two green, or a red and a green. I like them. I think they... I don't run them all the time, but like if I'm building a mana base and I already own one of the filter lands for the thing, I'll almost definitely put it in. I'm and the same as with I am with path Pathways. Yeah. I don't think I have a single deck that has a filter land. I just don't in general want to be that turn one i can't play my one drop with them if i have mana reflection or something in a deck i'll definitely run them because technically they produce produce two mana (laughs) so then you get one and you make four sure but it's big money (laughs) (laughs) sure sure (laughs) yep yep all right to the listeners that's gonna wrap up our ultimate guide to lands in commander to the listeners what did we miss is there anything about lands that you think we forgot to talk about or wish we went deeper on? We'd love to hear from you. And of course, if you want to get your hands on any of these lands, I would suggest the uh, MDFCs or the channel lands. Uh, the channel lands are already expensive, but some of the MDFCs yeah. are still criminally um, cheap, and I think they're just going to go up from here. Channelfireball.com slash command is the place to go to all, to order all of your magic product, singles, anything at all. Your magic players, you want to tune up your decks, you want to build new decks, you're going to buy magic cards anyway. Just use our affiliate link when you do, and you will be simultaneously getting the cards that you need and supporting the content that you enjoy. Again, that's channelfireball.com slash command, or you can use code command at checkout. And then, of course, you're going to want to put those cards in sleeves and deck boxes and on beautiful play mats and uh, those cool dice and all of that you can get at Ultra Pro. Yeah, Ultra Pro really does make the stuff that, A, protects your game pieces the best and just looks the coolest on the battlefield. Ultra Pro gets the license. If you're excited about Streets of New Capenna, you like that new Art Deco style, well, Ultra Pro is going to have the license agreements with Wizards to have the sleeves and the play mats and the deck boxes and everything to go along with whatever crime family you want to build around. If you want to make the obscure family or whatever, I'm sure Ultra Pro is going to have everything you need. And Nuka Pin is looking sweet, so it, it you're really sweet. definitely going to want it. <laughs> 
All right, uh, now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. I'm going to cheat a little. Okay. I'm going to talk about something that's a little inside the world of magic. It is our Patreon. Oh, yes. So we have recently upgraded our Patreon. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. If you've ever been thinking about joining, now is definitely the time to do it because, A, we've got Game Night's auditions happening right now. Talked about it at the front of the show, but it's worth repeating. There's a link in the show notes. If you want to audition to be on Game Night's, you're going to get to sit down with us. You're going to get knighted. You're going to show off your, your deck and how how good you are commander and the last fan episode like just came out and it was a doozy yeah these are always fun episodes really everybody fun. everybody enjoys them um so if you if you've ever wanted to be on the show now's the time the auditions are open you do have to be a patron of our show in order to uh, audition but you can be a patron at, at any level and speaking of levels one of the things we did with our Patreon is we just sort of revamped the entire thing. So we used to be uh, a per creation or per video. Um, that's how Patreon would charge everybody. So every time we put out an episode, then whatever tier everybody was at, that that's what they would get charged. And we just switched to a per month model uh, because... I think our heart was in the right place when we did the per video thing originally. And we started Patreon in like 2016 when nobody really knew how this stuff worked. And we just basically like set it up and then didn't mess with it. And we were looking at it like late last year being like, we need to rethink this. Um, and I think originally we were thinking like, oh, if we take a week off, then, then we're not charging people. For right, exactly. Then they don't have to pay for it. Because if, if, you know, if we only create, if we create seven videos in a month uh, normally, but then one month we create five, I don't want them to get charged the same amount. But it ended up being a situation where like, well, then when we wanted to create extra videos, it felt kind of bad. And we didn't always charge the patrons for them. But, you know, and we never really take months off around here because we have so many people. Somebody can always fill in. So it just made it easier to go to monthly because now everybody just knows what to expect. Yeah, you know what you're going to pay. It's just going to be whatever flat amount you signed up for. So it makes it way easier, way more transparent. Everybody can predict it. We don't want you know the Patreon to ever be a financial burden on anyone or anything. So when we switched that up, we were able to sort of redo all of our reward tiers. Which are, are looking really exciting. Yeah, we've got a lot of cool stuff now because that caused us to be like, oh, we should rethink and what else can we add? What can we give to our patrons? We really want to give a lot more because we knew that our Patreon could just be so much more so we've added some really cool stuff we've got a bunch of new merch available through a, a shopify store that we set up and anybody can go to that store by the way we'll put the links to that in the show notes even if you're not a patron but patrons at different tiers can get uh, a reduced cost a discount on this merch at the store and then patreon itself actually does merchandise like stickers and posters and things that weren't available to us when we were doing a per video charging but now that we're per month we can do it so at certain tiers you can get stickers and posters and cool stuff like that through patreon that we're going to design that'll be game nights themed or extra turns themed and things like that uh and then we also and i think this is well hold on before i get to the coolest thing other cool thing we're doing is we've committed to doing more exclusive videos and exclusive content jordan we did exclusive yeah we did the um after our extra turns game where we made a 50 the bet. bet yeah <laughs> there was a lot of debate around it so we did our own little breakdown of everything that happened we actually got to see extra behind the scenes footage of all the words that were said in the crafting of this deal slash bet yeah so that stuff i think that that video wouldn't be like an entire episode that we can put out on our channel but it's something that we were able to just make exclusive for patrons and they were the only ones that had access to that and our plan is you know this year to re release more exclusive content for our patrons and then of course the coolest thing i think or the thing i think most people are the most excited about is that 
we are going to start playing spell table games with our patrons. And if you're at a certain tier, the way this is going to work is we're going to post a calendar at uh, the beginning of each month, or probably not the beginning of each month. We'll probably post a few weeks ahead of time. Uh, so for instance, the calendar for May is going up very soon, and that's when we're going to start this whole program. And every single week, there will be a member of the Command Zone team, uh, and a certain day will have been chosen in a time period where they're going to be in the Discord, and they're going to play spell table games with patrons who qualify who are at the right tiers. And we promise that at least one week out of that month will be Jimmy or I. So, you know, let's say this, the first week is Ashlyn, the second week is Lady Danger, the third week is me, and the fourth week is Jordan. Um, they'll fall on different days. We'll put them at different times just so people in different time zones and areas of the world will, you know, be able to at least have something hopefully where they can fit it in. And then we also, for um, patrons at, at an even higher tier, there's going to be one day a month where the other one, so then that, I was playing in the, in the weekly stuff, Jimmy, let's say, on another day, in addition to the, you know, one per week, is going to say, like, on this day at this at between these times i'm going to play in games only for the people at, at at you know the champion tier or whatever and so this is going to happen every single month so if you're in those tiers you will have you know be able to get chances to play with everybody multiple times per month and of course our discord server we're also going to be planning to help facilitate more spell table games in general and and you know i'm not saying those are the only times that the staff and us could even play in the spell table games we could jump in at other times the calendar will just show you like guaranteed we are going to be here on these specific times you could yeah. finally get your chance to destroy josh lee kwai in a game of commander yeah i know that's the dream for a lot of people out there i know it's the dream too because every time <laughs> uh, i used to go to a live event that is what they would want to do just like hi nice to meet you i'm a big fan of your show i attack you i attack you i attack you but that <laughs> well, guy's got an aura charge i attack you okay all right josh josh is out okay i scoop <laughs> <laughs> so yeah a lot of cool stuff going on with our patreon we're really excited about it we think we've given it a huge huge upgrade um so page or Patreon.com slash command zone is the place to go if you want to sign up for that. A lot of reasons to do so. Please join our community. Um, and, I mean, the, all the old perks are still there. I just talked about the new stuff. But if you want to just talk with us talk with us on Discord every single day, we are there answering questions, hanging out, stuff like that. So appreciate everybody that supports us. Um, and I appreciate our awesome team. So big thanks to the Command Zone team, Damon Lenz, Shauna Gillis, Arthur Meadowcroft, Ashlyn Rose, Lady Danger, Manson Lung, Craig Lanchette, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Patrick Nan, Jordan Pridgen, Sam Waldo, Grav Golali, Truck Tide, Jamie Block, Mitch Trafford, and Evan Limberger. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the Living Cards animations that often sit behind us. He did do this one and begin our show. And yeah, I already thank you, Jordan. But thank you again for uh, filling in today. This was a fun yeah, one. Well, happy, happy to be here. And thanks everybody out there for watching. We, uh, I think we have a whole lot of sort of review stuff coming up for Streets of New Capenna. We are already working on, you know, all the cool combos and awesome synergies for the uh, multicolored commanders. So I think pretty soon we're going to be, you know, covering the new cards from that set. Yeah, get hype. Yeah, if you are not um, sub to our channel, well, now's the time to do it because you don't want to miss any of the upcoming videos. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> <laughs>
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.